Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. A Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam, on this episode of Health Hacker, we're going to be looking at the top five hacks to spring into spring. And this episode actually came in the form of a question from Sebastian, uh, who left a comment. And Adam, I know you reward people as well if they if they um, make a suggestion to you, because we love our tribe. We love suggestions. We love helping. So make sure you always jump on Adam's Facebook, Instagram, or go to themanshake.com.au to let Adam know what you want to hear on the podcast. And he rewards you with man shakes, man packs for those lucky winners. And this one was a suggestion, springing into spring, mate. Yeah, look, um, the winter weather's starting to uh, pass very quickly. It's starting to warm up. And what that means is we're starting to take clothes off. And uh, I always say people aren't too concerned about their waistlines when they're putting clothes on. Uh, (laughs) They can cover it up. But uh, now that it's getting a bit warmer, a lot of people are asking, you know, how do I get fit for spring? and for summer in particular. So how do I get back into shape now that uh, a few kilos have piled around the waistline? And it's an interesting stat when you look at it. On average, most people put on about three and a half kilos over winter. Mm. So um, we certainly do a good job of uh, letting our waistlines grow. Um, But as I said, you know, the motivation comes pretty quickly when you've got to go out to a family barbecue or an event and all of a sudden, you know, you've got to uh, put on a a bit of a tight-fitting pair of pants or a bit of a tight shirt or a dress for the ladies out there. So we're very motivated at the moment to get fit. So um, why do we put on weight, I suppose, over winter, a lot of people ask, is the fact that our hormones, you know, it's all back to hormones and uh, in particular uh, melatonin, which is is the, uh, the master regulator for sleep. That hormone in particular increases our, our level of ghrelin, which is our appetite. Um, I always like to say to people, ghrelin means ghrelin, the stomach's ghrelin. <laughs> um, so what happens there is is that, um, you know, you're always finding yourself more hungry in winter. Um, and also the body wanting to regulate its temperature and its thermostat, it, it wants to keep itself warmer, so therefore it demands more calories as well. So our appetites increase actually during winter, even though we're moving less, which is the other problem. So you've got less motivation to move because the weather's miserable outside and it's cold and whatnot, so mm. you're not going to go and exercise. And a lot of the times, too, our bodies aren't auto-regulating uh, their core body temperature. It's being done through synthetic sources like heating. So we're not burning as many calories there as well because all of a sudden you're walking into a nice heated room and your body's not having to work hard to regulate its temperature. So you've got all these things working against you with your body wanting to be more lazy, the temperature... Um, and then your, your hormones working against you to eat more food. So on average, um, research has shown that um, people eat about 200 calories more on a daily basis in colder months. So so what does 200 calories look like? Like what is that? Is that an extra sandwich or is that just an extra apple? 
I don't um, know how much calories. Yeah, is. well, ca- that's a great that's a great question. So, um, it's not a lot of food when you, when you think about it from a fast food sense. Um, but it, it might be something as um, simple as you know half a sandwich. So you know it's only half a sandwich more, but it's that interesting. It, it adds up. And what you tend to find is that people are eating more comfort foods in in winter. So the foods that aren't so good for them, you know, so they're trying to make themselves feel a little bit better as well, which is another hormonal response to the cold weather. Is we know that. Uh, uh, seasonal uh, disorders come around through mental health. Uh, people aren't getting as much sunshine, as much vitamin D, so therefore their mood is dropping. And one of the best ways to boost your mood, and we'll talk about it in future podcasts, um, is through food. So people look for these foods that give them that quick release of dopamine, which is namely sugar and high-fat foods, um, and they brighten up your mood. So therefore your waistline is going to suffer as a result of trying to boost your mood through not getting enough sunshine. So mate, let's get into the hacks. I know number one is pick up a pen. And I love the fact that they're cryptic hacks because it allows me to ask, Adam, what does that mean? Yeah, look, um, it's all about psychology. You know, if you, if you boil everything down into life, it's all about, you know, finding enough drive and motivation to execute on something. And weight loss is no different or being healthy is no different. We know that people do more to avoid loss than they do to obtain gain. So if I said to you now, Alex, you know what? You can win $10, but you may lose $2 you aren't going to take action because you're more focused on the loss than mm. you are on the gain. So what we need to be is held accountable. And we now know that social expectation plays a huge role in our behaviours and in our motives. So we want to be congruent in life. We want to live up to an expectation that people have around us of who we are. Um, so therefore, if we get a pen and we ask somebody to witness us signing a contract, that's right, sign a contract to say that you are going to take certain behaviours and achieve certain results, you are much more likely, up to three times more likely to actually execute on them behaviours. So, for instance, if you're planning on losing a few kilos coming into summer and you know that you shouldn't eat a particular food, so there's that bakery down the end of the street that you bypass every single morning and you might get yourself, you know, a nice big uh, bread roll um, or a meat pie, um, you sign a contract with a loved one or a friend that will hold you accountable and therefore you won't want to be incongruent with your, with your actions to say that you aren't going to eat that fast food and you're going to lose five kilos in the next six weeks, you'll be much more likely to succeed. And I suppose there's another way we could write the contract as well, as opposed to abstaining also about what are we going to add into our life. So it's like, I will walk one kilometre at least three times a week or every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And then you can put that on there and they sign that as well. Exactly. Great, great things to to write down and, and put on a piece of paper. And, and the other thing we know is goals, the power of goals. We've spoken about them in past podcasts. And if you haven't listened to the episode on um, how to be successful um, and the mindset required to be successful. There's some great tips in there. But basically, you've got to set a goal. And I always say that, you know, a goal is only a dream until pen has been put onto paper. Hmm. And make sure that goal is visible as much as possible throughout the day to train the subconscious mind. We now know the power of um, placebo. We now know the power of suggestion. So, making sure that you have that goal up in front of you, front and centre as much as possible is really going to train the subconscious. So Adam, picking up a pen and seeing a goal is one step, but how do we then hold ourselves accountable as we are marching towards achieving this goal? Accountability is everything. You know, no matter what you do in life, accountability is the key to success because when no one's watching, that's normally when people go reach into the fridge or, you know, when they get up and it's a bit cold and there's no one around them holding them accountable to their actions, that's when they lie in bed for that little bit longer rather than go and exercise. So accountability is is really something um, that is crucial to success and, and the way to do that is measuring. Um, what gets measured gets done, I often say. And, and, you know, the best way to measure something is make sure that you articulate it, you write it down. It's very powerful. And keeping a food journal is something that's so powerful yet so simple. 
Alex, a study recently, a huge study of 1,700 people over six months, which is a great study, found that people that kept a food diary lost twice as much weight as those that didn't. So just the simple art of picking up the pen, writing down exactly what you eat every single day holds you accountable. And we know statistics have shown that, you know, when you ask people to eat a meal and then recite how much they actually ate or how much food they ate during a whole period of time, that we underestimate what we eat by up to 40%. Yeah. So we're so good at telling ourselves little fibs about what we're consuming as yeah. far as food goes. You forget, oh, I did have that piece of cake. <laughs> I forgot about the cake. I had that can of Coke. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so this really holds you accountable. So, you know, and you can't then BS to yourself that, you know, you're not having that, you know, extra, you know, packet of uh, chips in the afternoon or you might be grabbing a couple of extra Tim Tams rather than saying that I didn't have them. So I'm trying all these things off and here, you know, I'm following a really good diet and, you know, I can't understand why I'm not losing weight. Then as soon as I challenge people, I say, well, I want you to write down for me just for five days exactly what you eat and what you put in your mouth, whether it's liquid or food. And they go, what? Yeah, what you drink as well. And a lot of people are amazed by the fact that they don't realise how much they're actually eating and for what period of time as well. As we've spoken about in past podcasts, the power of eating within a certain window of time. Um, most people now eat, you know, over a period of nearly 16 hours a, of the day, mm. which is mind-blowing. So if all of a sudden you're putting pen to paper, you're going to hold yourself accountable and you're going to really be able to see what you are doing. Hack number two of how to spring into spring is sleep it off. Yeah, look, you know, Everyone now is starting to acknowledge the power of sleep. Um, You know, sleep is the most powerful thing you can do when it comes to your health. I always say to people, you know, if you want to do one thing to improve your waistline or to get fitter or just be happier and more positive and live your best life, it's finding time to make time for sleep. Um, (laughs) It's a bit counterintuitive as a a race because we think we have to work harder to be successful. Yet when you tell people that actually do less, just sleep and you'll be more successful, they look at you like, what the hell? Yeah. But that's the truth because, you know, when you sleep, that's when your body restores itself, that's when you recover, and that's when the wonderful things happen, you know? So, and we're living in such an environment now where it's so driven by more, 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 the stress is piling up on us that we aren't getting enough sleep and allowing our bodies to be at their best. So, Alex, a study I really loved recently um, just showed the power of sleep, particularly when it comes to your waistline. Um, they took two groups of uh, people and all they did was differentiate the amount of time that they slept for. One group got six hours or less of sleep. The other group got eight or more hours of sleep. Now, the results were staggering. Now, we now know that calories in versus calorie out are a big driver of weight gain and weight loss. Therefore, you can't really lose weight if you're ingesting more calories than you burn on a daily basis. So this is why this study is so interesting because both groups ate exactly the same amount of calories, yet the group that slept for more than eight hours or eight hours um, at a minimum lost 55% more fat. And you'd think they wouldn't because you think they're doing less and it's less calories in versus calories out. Exactly. You think they'd be up more, so they'd be moving more, Mm. you know, and, you know, using the excuse, oh, but their hormones would have uh, obviously been um, a lot more sensitive, so therefore when you get less sleep, we know that ghrelin, the uh, the appetite hormone and leptin, you know, the the, the hormone that drives your feeling of feeling uh, full, um, would have been unregulated um, or dysfunctional as a result of less sleep, so therefore they would have eaten more. But no, no, they ate exactly the same amount of food. The only difference was the group that lost 55% more slept for two hours only more on a daily basis, which is staggering. So, And the other interesting stat out of this was the fact that the insulin sensitivity of the people um, dropped by 30%. Now, insulin sensitivity is so important, um, as you know, because what that does is it petitions the calories that you eat 
into your muscles or stores them as fat. So having greater insulin sensitivity is very, very important if you're trying to lose weight and just for our general health and well-being because you want calories to be put towards muscle and for energy purposes, not for fat storage. So there's two huge rocks there you're going to get from doing one simple thing, which is just putting your head on the pillow a little bit earlier. Um, and, you know, we've got some little bonus hacks here, you know, but once again, go back to previous podcasts. We did one on sleep. But, you know, if I had to pick one of my favourite things is I'd tell people to get up and out into the sun as quickly as possible and remove themselves some light as quickly as possible before they go to bed and don't eat it too close to bedtime. So, you know, they're, they're the couple of simple things that you can do. Get out to the, to the sun as early as possible to start your day, to reset your natural body clock. So when you do go home after work, you're able to wind down and feel tired much earlier and disassociate from them blue lights and artificial lights, which we're never meant to evolve with, that really stimulate our brain and stop hormones from being produced, namely melatonin, which helps us sleep, and also not eating because your body then is trying to petition energy towards digestion rather than getting ready to sleep. So try them little hacks. And outside of shift workers, the other thing on that sleep is getting the right sleep. So going to bed earlier and also, as you said, switching your mind off allows you to, when you do sleep, you're recovering well. We interviewed Damien Moo, who's a CEO, who's a very high-functioning man, and he found out that his... Um, recovery in his sleep, even though he was getting a lot of hours, was really bad because his mind was still on. So listen to that episode about the right type of sleep. And because, you know, you could be going, well, I'm getting eight hours a night, Adam, but I still feel awful. Well, if you're on your phone late and you went to bed late and you're still thinking about work and you didn't calm yourself down, it's also going to be ineffective, like doing the wrong type of exercise for you. 100%. You know, like you alluded to as well, doing things like drinking alcohol just before you go to sleep. Um, we know that stops you from going into the deep stages of sleep, which are uh, yeah, so important oh, for restoration. I think about you every time now. <laughs> if I have a glass of wine at dinner, I wake up in the middle of the morning and I go, oh, I don't sleep very well. And I go, Adam, God, damn it, it was right. It was well, re- right. Well, research is showing. I'm glad you were right because well, it shows you know it. You, you'll drift off to sleep quicker. And yeah, research is showing. Like a light, mate. <laughs> However, you know, you just don't get into them same deep stages of sleep that are required for restoration. And eating's the same thing once again, you know. Yeah, our, our bodies are designed to actually you know, send certain resources to certain parts of the body and you, you can't multitask. We now know multitasking is inefficient for human beings. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I can multitask, but we know that when you look at it from an efficiency point of view, we're much less efficient when we try to multitask. And it's the same with our bodies. We're trying to ask our bodies to do a number of things, whether it's stay stimulated and engaged while watching entertainment or trying to digest food or alcohol, something's got to suffer and it's our physical being that suffers. So the third hack on springing into spring is move it fast and early. Well, it's the next pillar, you know, which is is critical to all health. And, that, and that's a lot of people like to call that exercise, but I don't believe in exercise. I think exercise is something that should be prescriptive. By that, I mean, if you're going to run a marathon, that's exercise. Go train for that. But for me, the pillar of health when it comes to exercise should be called movement. Movement is the key as far as I'm concerned. Too many of us now live lives that are sedentary in nature. We have office jobs. We're sitting down way too much. We're driving, commuting longer than ever. Um, and convenience, you know, we're sitting in front of TV, screens, computers on our phones. So therefore not moving has become the biggest problem with our health when it comes to exercise. People think that you, know, you can go and exercise for one hour of the day, but it's only 4% of your whole day. Yeah, so when you totally. break it down, it's about trying to find time in your day to just move, you know, and you know that I love 
um, the theory of snack exercising where, you know, on the hour, every hour, I set my alarm to go off and I get up and I go do one minute of activity where it's moving towards the toilet, going to get a drink of water, doing some air squats, some some push-ups, um, you know, Don't doing you hide some in the cubicle at the bathroom and do squats? Shut the, do some squats up and down on the toilet. Um, you know, so there's plenty of things that you can do. Um, you might be seen as a bit of a wacko at the workplace, but um, or a guy that likes visiting the bathroom and they might think you've got a bit of a bowel problem, but... But you'll be fit. But you'll be happy and you'll be fit. So that's that's the takeaway. But research has shown, which, you know, a lot of people debated for a very, very long time um, about the best time to exercise. And I always say the best time to exercise is the time that you'll actually do it because motivation, as we know, is the key driver to any behaviour. But I I have a saying also that eat that frog early in the morning um, and you'll get it done and you'll feel more are rewarded uh, for the rest of the day. So when you pick something tough to do at the start of the day, it's so rewarding. Yeah. You feel, you know, a real sense of confidence and you really feel good about yourself and that gives you that fuel then to go for the rest of your day for other challenges. So I personally like to pick something difficult in the morning to do, like turning on the, the cold water in the shower. It gives me a sense of fulfilment and a sense of worthiness. Mm. You know, I've been able to sort of steel myself, get through something difficult. Um, we know Navy SEALs and 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 a lot of the, you know, the, the fine people that represent um, us in, in the military make their bed every single morning um, because that gives them a sense of, of um, achievement first up. Um, and that's where exercise is really important. You know, research has now shown that people that actually exercise first thing in the morning not only get it done on a more regular basis, but they actually burn away that winter fat much faster. In fact, um, a study published in the Journal of uh, Nutrition found that a body weight circuit uh, before breakfast blew away 20% more fat then the same workout done at lunchtime. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. You know? Because so, your body has to use the fuel that it's already been storing, right? Exactly. You're a smart man. You, you've um, been doing this for a little while now, Alex, so you're picking up on all the little hacks. But, um, you know, what most of us do is we we allow our childlike breakfasts, which is usually cereal for people, for so for God's sake, Google Kellogg's cornflakes and see what they were designed for. I'm not going to tell you. But, um, you know, we're using the, the, the glycogen from these fast energy sources like breakfast cereals, breads to fuel these workouts. We're not tapping into our natural energy stores, which is our body fat. Mm. So we've got this amazing reserve of fuel in our bodies called fat and nobody's tapping into it because of the convenience of food. We're always overeating, always consuming way too many calories because of convenience. Mm. Um, And, you know, Dave the caveman, our brother from another mother, back 10,000 years ago, didn't have the convenience of food first thing in the morning. He'd rise, get up, search and go gather or hunt. So for him, he had to have a fuel source, which was very efficient. Um, we didn't have food, which was fat. So if you really want to burn that fat quickly, learn how to exercise on an empty stomach. And a lot of the time, you're not going to be hungry and the feeling of maybe lethargy or all that fact that you don't have that energy um, is a psychological one. You know, it's your attachment to thinking that you need food to exercise. So what are your hacks to exercising on an empty stomach? Because I know I'm one of those people who... Um, I'm a bit blood sugar sensitive and maybe yep. it is mental, but if, and it maybe it depends on the food I ate the night before. So yep. what are your hacks to, to getting past that? Well, that's a great thing. You know, I always, uh, you know, applaud people not to go from zero to a hundred straight away. You know, it's like why most extreme diets fail is because the exclusion of things a hundred percent never works. So if you're somebody like yourself that does struggle with that morning energy because, you know, you've probably eaten a high carbohydrate dinner the night before and your blood sugar will naturally drop. And that's what happens when you have a really high carbohydrate diet. So a lot of people out there, if we're eating, um, you know, the standard American diet, the SAD diet, which is, you know, the, the food pyramid, um, a lot of us will 
feel these energy drops because we're so dependent on carbohydrates for our energy source. And when you look at it from a, a macronutrient point of view, from a protein, carbohydrate and fat uh, point of view, when you look at the, uh, the macronutrients of what the different food groups are, um, you know, the only non-essential food group is carbohydrates. You know, um, our bodies don't actually need carbohydrates. We need fat um, for brain function, for cellular function. Um, we need protein for, for muscle, skin and uh, regeneration and, and all, all these cellular purposes. But carbohydrates are just purely a, a, an energy source. Mm. However, our bodies are very, very efficient and we've evolved to use protein and fat um, as energy as well. So the problem has been is now we've become so dependent on carbohydrates that, like you said, most people get up in the morning and straight away their blood sugar levels are going to be depleted um, and they're going to be craving carbohydrates because that's they've become carb burners, sugar burners. They're, their bodies rely on sugar only. So um, they don't have the ability to turn on on the um, <laughs> the uh, other petrol tanks in their car. Oh, okay, so let me try and paraphrase what you're saying is slow steps, start bringing down the carbs and then your body will switch fuel tanks that's going from the electric engine back to the petrol or whatever. Yes. Or maybe for, I should say from the petrol back <laughs> to the electric, actually. Yeah. That's what I should say. And then it will start to tap into your fat cells and really want to use to burn more of the proteins that you've been eating and putting into your diet. Yeah, word that's trending now is you become more fat adapted. And that, that's where a lot of these reboot diets, you know, before you want to go on some extreme diet, say, for example, I don't want to bash it up, but the ketogenic diet, for example, you know, um, a lot of people will go from eating a, a sad diet um, where they've got, you know, 400 grams on average of carbohydrates is what most people are said to eat um, to zero carbohydrates. Do you know what that's going to do metabolically to you? It's going to crush you, yeah. you know, because you don't have the mechanism internally um, in, in the body to use fat as, as fuel because your body doesn't know how to do that. So it takes a while to transition to utilising other f- energy sources um, and the body to become efficient at that. So what I would suggest to do is, you know, get up get up in the morning. If you must, you know, have a breakfast, have a liquid breakfast. We know liquid is the way to go. Yes, you know, disclaimer, I own a, a, a protein uh, replacement, uh, meal replacement business um, which promotes it. But the reason I did that is I designed that product for myself and I knew that from, you know, um, you know, a, not only a nutritional point of view but from a digestion point of view, we know that you want to ease your digestion into the day. So having a liquid breakfast is much easier on your digestive system and it it allows you to use energy for other things rather than trying to digest, you know, a heavy meal first thing up. So my suggestion would be to make yourself a a smoothie of some sort. It doesn't need to be a man shake. You know, go and get yourself some protein powder, um, maybe a a banana, um, you know, throw in um, some sort of nuts or or throw in some good fats, some coconut oils or or, or something like that and and start your day with with a shake in the morning uh, before you exercise. And research has shown now that, you know, there was a thing called the post-workout window, which people got so hung up on. So yeah, you see these that. bodybuilders, you know, take their little eskies to the gym with them. And as soon as their workout would finish, I'd think they'd have to scull a protein shake or, you know, have a big chicken breast because they were missing out. Is that out. not true? Not true. It's The anabolic window is, you know, the body's a lot smarter than that. If you think about even dieting as such, you know, calories in versus calories out, you know, you shouldn't look at it, you know, at such a micro level on a daily basis. It's actually over a collective period, more like a week. And it's the same as what we call the anabolic window. As long as you've had protein in your diet, you know, leading up, you know, to that 24-hour period, that's sufficient. So I often say to people, you better off having your protein shake actually or your man shake before you train because it, it takes a while for that protein to be synthesised throughout the body anyway. So, so that's a myth. It's the lead up, not the after. Exactly. So can I just touch on the other point of this hack then, which is you said move it fast and early. We've done the early part. What's the fast part? Well, the fast part is 
high intensity training. You know, we've um, spoken about this horse a few times. So, you know, people that have engaged in our podcast, you know, will know how much of a fan I am of high intensity exercise. The reason I love high intensity exercise so much is because I'm an economist, I'm a health economist. So for me, it's all about how do I get my biggest return on my investment, which is my time for, you know, what I put into it. So high intensity exercise, we know it's superior just to long, steady state training. So, you know, and who's got time anyway to go for an hour run or a bike mm. ride? Look, if that's what you want to do mentally for yourself, I applaud you. Please do it. But we know that short bursts of exercises not only have a better result physiologically, but from a compliance point of view, psychologically sticking to them, we're going to be a lot more successful because you can make the excuse, I don't have the time, but everybody's got 10 minutes. So, you know, getting up in the morning and doing something that, you know, requires you to get out of breath and build up a quick sweat is the key to, to, to long-term weight loss and building more muscle. We know muscle is very important uh, for our metabolism and f- for making sure that we stay healthy. Um, so, you know, making sure that you do these short hit sessions are very, very important. Um, study from uh, Southern Illinois University found that um, people that did these type of workouts ended up burning twice the amount of calories than people that did the, the hour-long workouts. And statistics show, you know, time and time again that um, – you know, short hit form training is the best way to go. You can get the same result from a 60-second workout as you can from a 60-minute workout. Crazy. Which is absolutely crazy. Because that's that thing you're saying where uh, your fat will keep burning afterwards, right? What's the afterburn? The afterburn effect. Yeah. That's what you're looking for in a workout. We're looking to to stoke the fire of our metabolism. We know that 75% of the calories you burn come down to the to your metabolic rate, your metabolism. And our metabolism is, is, is set from our uh, muscle tissue. So doing training that, you know, is conducive to building muscle is very important to stoking your metabolism and doing doing um, exercise that challenges your metabolism as well to adapt. So you think about it, you know, when you're doing high-intensity exercise, you can never adapt. Yeah. You know, you can always go faster. How does your body catch up? It never can. But going on a slow, steady run, what happens is your body adapts and goes, now you're going to have to run longer to get the same benefit. Oh, okay. I finally get the difference now because it gets into that rhythm. You're running along and the body goes, oh, I'm with this now because you started off running. I was a bit out of breath and then all of a sudden you just get into the groove of it. You adapt. Your body adapts yeah. so there's no longer you a stress. You can never adapt going, skipping as fast, fast as, as you can because eventually can't. you just fall over. You fall over. <laughs> so it's about adaptation. Yeah. So the key to you know prolonging the benefit of exercise is the fact that the, the, the stimulus of exercise comes from stress and everything's a stress and exercise is no different. So then the afterburn, is that then not, is that then burning into the fat stores that we have around us or is it just, in, like what's it doing? Yeah, the afterburn is seeing your body still needing to burn energy to catch up to what you just did to your body in that workout. So, so that's why we also then probably shouldn't eat in that window because then it will start wanting to attach onto that as opposed to the fat in our bodies. Yeah, look, there's a lot of theory around that as well is the fact that from exercise, we're trying to elicitate a hormonal response as well, not just, you know, um, the benefit, which is huge mentally. But when you look at it physiologically, we're, we're trying to really nudge our hormones into a favourable state. So, you know, if you do the right type of exercise, you should be increasing things like testosterone and growth hormone. And research has shown that people that abstain from food for up to two hours after exercise actually get a spike in their testosterone and growth hormone levels. So you'll see a lot of people actually try not to eat as well as fat burning as well. Mm. So, and your appetite gets um, downregulated as well from high-intensity exercise. So people that did high-intensity exercise versus people that did steady-state exercise had two different experiences. The people that did slow and steady-state exercise and things like swimming, unfortunately, because of the cold water, 
they were ravenous. They'd get out of the water. Yeah. And the Michael Phelps, you know, um, story is true. You know, he, he was consuming 10,000 calories a, a day and, yeah. and struggling to hold his weight. Um, so certain types of exercise will have a different effect on, on your appetite, hormones, than high-intensity exercise does. So high-intensity exercise actually bluntens um, your appetite um, hormones, namely ghrelin. Um, and increases the sensitivity of leptin, which is the uh, the hormone that's responsible for feeling satisfied. So mm. exercise, you know, when you are exercising, you should be thinking not just about the exercise itself, but the impact it's going to have on your hormones. Okay, so I'm trying to pack all that up before we move on to the next <laughs> hack, is that try and get your meals in on the lead up to your exercise if you can. If it's in the morning, you probably should have already had something sufficient the night before. Then you use that energy to exercise and then allow your body to then, if it's a hit one, do the afterburn and keep burning before you then eat again and you'll get the maximum amount out of that exercise. 100%. And, you know, if you're going to spend your time doing anything extra, you know, stretch. You know, stretching is an amazing oh, thing, always, you know. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have got to ass up in the sense that, you know, even as professional athletes, when I was a sportsman, at first there was a big theory around stretching before you performed, before you played, because they felt that it would reduce injury. But then research and, I suppose, application showed that this wasn't the case. In actual fact, stretching before high-intensity exercise in particular increased injury rates because mm. what stretching actually did was it actually caused micro tears in the muscle yeah. and it actually increased the actual tension in the muscle because the body doesn't really want to be stretched. Oh. You're stretching, that's what stretching is, pushing yourself beyond a point that's comfortable. So therefore going in, in into competition, the athlete had what we call down regulated the sensitivity of the muscle fibers because they'd gone into protection mode. So therefore yeah. our speed and power was reduced because we'd stretched. So you save stretching for after you exercise. Now, you know, a lot of people are going to struggle with this because it's been built into them that they should stretch. Warming up is simply the art of doing what you're about to do and getting your body ready for it, but at a slower pace. So slowly building into it. So for example, if you're going to go for a run, just start walking and then start jogging and then start, you know, doing some dynamic mobility, which is some leg swings, some arm swings, Mm. getting your body to go through the full motion that you're about to undertake. So if you're going to squat in the gym, for example, just doing some, you know, light quarter squats and, you know, some full body weight squats, then just get a broomstick, put it over your head and do some squats. So if you're going to go do some sprints, some high-intensity sprints and skipping, you know, start walking to the park and then eventually do a light jog and then by the time you get there, you're nice and warm. You can do a few, you know, or you're saying like a few squats or just air jumps to get the little quads going before the skipping and then go into your routine. And then go into it, yeah, slowly build into it. And, you know, that's probably a big mistake a lot of people make is that they rush into their workouts as well. You know, they don't build in the warm-up period and the adaptation period, and I call it greasing the groove, you know. If, you, if you're going to do something, say, for example, a squat or a bench press in the gym, start doing the motion light and get the motor patterning right, you know, because as soon as you start too heavy, your form's going to break down right. and you're going to go back into bad habits. So we've been sitting all day, for example, in the office chair. Do you know how many ingrained bad habits, you know, our bodies have developed from sitting? So you're going to have tight hip flexors, you know, your glutes are going to be switched off and then you go and try and, you know, do a CrossFit workout or whatever without getting that motor pattern right through greasing the groove, through doing it with body weight to start with. You need to retrain the body. So, you know, if there's not enough motivation to actually, you know, stretch, particularly if, you know, you're one of them big bulky guys who loves his muscle, well, here it is for you as far as I'm concerned. There was a a study done um, that showed that static stretching at the end of your workout can increase your muscle mass by as much as 13%. Yeah, right. That is insane. Like when you think about that, you know, just stretching at the end of your workout rather than at the start of your workout or not stretching at all, increase the participants' muscle mass by up to 13%. Now, that that's a lot of muscle. And, you know, it comes from a very, you know, well, 
well-established journal, which was the Journal of Applied Physiology. So, you know, the reason this happened is because, like I said earlier, is stretching causes micro tears in the muscle, which is a stress. And therefore, the body then has to adapt. So it's overcompensation once again. On top of the workout, these extra micro tears were enough to prompt an anabolic response in the muscle to make it grow even more. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Hack number four to spring your way into spring is winter kitchens. What does this mean, mate? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people say that, um, you know, summer bodies are made in winter, but oh. they're actually made in the kitchen. Yes. And, you know, if I, I, I can, outside of sleep, um, applaud anyone to take control of anything, it's learning how to cook. And it is the most powerful thing you can do for your own health and your family's health. Um, and you're empowering yourself because, for once, you know exactly what you're putting in your body. Yeah. Because let's be honest, when you go out to a restaurant, if I owned a restaurant, I'd be putting a crap load of sugar, cream, and yeah, fat in the food to delicious. make it taste good yeah. because that's the only reason people are going there. Um, and you don't know how many calories you're eating. And you can't have then control on your appetite hormones because these delicious things like fat and sugar are then hijacking your reward centers in your brain and then you have no self-control. So therefore, then that's when you reach for dessert. So for me, if you learn how to cook, it's the most powerful thing you can do because you can control what happens to your body from a hormonal point of view as well as from a weight point of view because you know exactly what's going into it. And that, that's really important. So, um, you know, the ingredients list on a lot of these products as well, you just don't know what's in food, you know, and, and why it's in there. A lot of the time being someone that makes food is most of the time people are thinking profits before health, right. like it or not. You know, big food companies owned by faceless corporations, they only have one agenda which is to make profit, yeah. and you can't begrudge them. But as long as you know the rules of the game, you're walking into a supermarket, you know that the game's rigged. They need to make money. Yeah. That's why you see at the top of the supermarket aisle all the time, what do you see, Alex? Chocolate. Soft drink, chocolate, mm. chips, mm. because that's where the margin is. The margin's in sugar. Mm. So unfortunately, when you're, you know, you're eating something out of a pack, um, a lot of the time you know, they've got all these hidden ingredients in there to save money and also to want to get you addicted to these types of foods so you come back and buy them again. Yeah. So by learning how to cook some of these tasty treats, there's no reason why you still can't eat cookies, you can't have muffins, you can't have pizza. Of course you can. Just make it yourself. Yeah. And it's much better for you. And as far as I'm concerned, it tastes better as well. So, you know, if you really want to get into shape quick and if it's, you're setting yourself a goal like we spoke about, which is very important, in four weeks' time you want to drop that extra three and a half kilos you may have put on over winter, well, why not set a goal of making sure that you at that you at least cook five of your seven meals for mm. dinner this week from home. Another thing I know you're a big fan of is maybe throughout winter, eat seasonally as well. Things that are growing in that season, your body is going to want to be craving because of the way that we've been conditioned over thousands of years. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing is trying to eat in season. You know, our bodies have evolved the way they have to survive and to thrive. And, you know, the foods that are seasonal usually are foods – um, that match up our energy demands. So heading uh, into winter, as you'll find in summer, because our bodies needed more body fat, fruits would come into season because they're higher in sugar and higher in energy. So try and eat in season, and this will really see you eat within your calorie needs more than, than not. But Adam, of course, we can't always be cooking at home, or sometimes you just want to take the family out for dinner. What are your hacks about when you actually do find yourself in a restaurant and faced with a big beautiful looking menu and you go, oh, I want everything. <laughs> well, I, my favourite one is always go first because, you know, I always say that your reflection upon the company you keep. So, you know, we feel this peer pressure. So, 
you know, a lot of people are waiting for the green light. They're like, you know, if they're going out to eat with friends and they're waiting for their mate to order the chips and the chicken snitty um, with the schooner on the side. But if you go first and you're being health conscious, well, then that sets the tone for everybody else. So if you are trying to lose weight, you know, don't put your fate in other people's hands. Go first. Order first. And even better than this was, I love, you know, research, as you know, but research at the University of Pennsylvania found that when people selected their lunch meal and now or more in advance, they tended to order lower calorie options than if they made their selection when they went to the restaurant. Oh. Um, and they ended up ingesting less calories as a result, which is, which is amazing. So, you know, get on your phone, use it for a positive uh, purpose and, you know, if you know you're going to have lunch at, at, at 1 o'clock, get on the phone at 12 o'clock, see what you might want to eat for lunch and you'll end up seeing your waistline shrink in no time. Especially with like meal delivery services, if you know you're going to book it, it's going to take half an hour to get there, book the healthy one and you'll be happy when it arrives. Uh, exactly. And, and you know, it's um, you know just so interesting that, um, you know, if you take out a lot of the decision-making, you protect yourself from yourself. So if you know why you do what you do, that's the key to success in life. So Adam, and that's the point of this podcast is the fact that we now know what we didn't know. So that's cool. I know the science behind that. But also I noticed for me, my choices will change as the day goes on because in the morning I'm up for a delicious breakfast. It's like, I'm excited about it. You know, I'm a much healthier person than I used to be because of this podcast, but still in the afternoon, I'm looking for snacks. Is that also a way that we're wired of why we look for it in the afternoon or is that a modern thing? Yeah, once you become tired, your body sets off an alarm that says it needs energy. And, you know, there's so much psychological demand on our, on our lives these days. Stresses decision-making. We know decision-making really depletes our uh, willpower, you know, and, um, you know, you put a donut in front of someone at 9am or put it in front of them at 3pm, the likelihood of them eating that donut at 3pm is nearly six times greater because they've got no willpower left. A famous study recently in Israel showed the power of decision fatigue and decision-making, how much energy it required. And basically the judges would grant parole early in the day and straight after lunch, but this, the same judge for the same case several weeks later when they flipped the actual case around time-wise actually did not grant parole. Right. So our decision-making is actually, you know, really affected by our energy levels and how many decisions we have to make leading up to that. So, oh, right. But, you know, the, the reality is, once your, your body goes in, into that energy deficit mode, it is more responsive. It, it's going to remove um, the conscious thought process and just subconsciously try to find foods that are high in calories. So that, that's why, you know, you look around now and you're looking at a lot of diets around fasting, for example, and time-restricted eating where, um, you know, a lot of people are skipping breakfast totally. Um, but it's been proven it's not the most effective way. Yes, time-restricted eating is great. But don't but if, skip the meal. Well, more importantly, eat earlier in the day. Bath yeah. University, for example, showed that people that front-loaded their calories ended up eating up to 700 calories less mm. than people that back-loaded their calories. So, for example, people that didn't eat breakfast and had their first meal at around 12 o'clock actually ended up eating 700 calories more than the group that had their breakfast or their first meal at 9am. So people that ate, for example, you know, four hours or, or so after they got up, ended up eating a lot more calories than people that ate within the first couple of hours of getting up. Okay, and that's where I suppose that is where the interpretation of a fasting window can go awry because people are like, okay, well, if I'm going to bed at 11, I won't eat till 11. It's like, no, no, no. Try and get your dinner in earlier and then get up earlier. It'll work out better back to hack number um, two, which is sleeping properly. And then your fasting window, is, although it's still the same window, you are eating earlier. It's not a bad thing. It no. just means you're starting it and finishing it earlier. Exactly. You know, still fast, still do time-restricted eating. But, you know, circadian rhythm-wise and our insulin sensitivity and all these things that, 
determine how we partition calories once again, whether it's to fat or whether it's to energy. Um, you know, our body's ability to, to use food as energy as well throughout the day is really down to the timing of our food intake. So, you know, the um, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition suggests that people that eat more than half their calories early in the day um, are much leaner than those that don't um, and, you know, are able to not have as many cravings. So, you know, if you are out there and you're struggling with cravings later in the afternoon, you're hitting that three o'clock slump where you're looking for, you know, the coffee, which isn't the problem, but it's usually a thing that goes with the coffee. Try to eat more of your calories early in the day and you should see your appetite decrease in the afternoon. There's two other great little hacks. Um, while we're at it, is eating your food in a certain order. We've spoken about it in a previous episode. It was uh, the food train. Um, you know, when you go put that fork in your mouth, um, making sure that you eat your macros or, or your protein, carbohydrates and fats in a certain order. Now, um, you know, a study from the Comprehensive Weight Control Centre um, at Cornell Medicine in New York, so it's a very reputable um, body, gave people a meal consisting of bread, orange juice, chicken and salad. And when the people ingested uh, the sugary carbohydrates like the bread and OJ, after they had the protein and the vegetables, their blood sugar levels were only half as high as the group that started with the sugar, which is amazing. So therefore, they were going to put on half as much weight potentially. So if you're really trying to slim down your waistline, if you do feel like you need to eat these crappy foods like orange juice and breads and foods that don't really have a lot of nutritional value, but you can't Mm. avoid them, save them to the end of the meal. So start with your vegetables first, then go with some fats, and then go with your protein. This will slow down the digestion as well. So your body's ability to utilise the calories out of that food as energy rather than store it as fat comes down to how quickly your body gets given that food. So that's the problem with sugary type foods is that oh, you put them in your body. And they go in quick. They go in really quick. It's like trying to, I always say, you know, eating the wrong type of carbohydrates is like filling your car up at the petrol bowser with a cannon nozzle. You know, you, you hit the, the button to press go and it just overflows. Yeah, right. Where does that petrol go? On the ground. Yeah. It's the same as the wrong type of carbohydrates. When you put them in your yeah, body. Yeah, trucks have that high flow yeah, diesel. high flow diesel. And you're putting it into a Vespa, you know. <laughs> putting it in a Vespa. And that's what happens with sugary foods. You know, our bodies can't huh. store the carbohydrates fast enough so they petition them into fat. But like a piece of broccoli, you slowly got to chew that. piece of steak, you got to slowly sort of get through that. Yes, and your body's busy trying to break that food down. Then when you mix the carbohydrates into that, the digestive tract is already working hard to digest other foods. So therefore, getting on the food train, I like to call, um, where you're starting off with your, your fibrous uh, types of vegetables and a bit of fat and then protein, and then if you must and you can't resist them crappier types of food, um, and even if you're eating potatoes and sweet potatoes, always trying to mix your foods will have a different, what we call a glycemic response, which is how big a blood sugar response you have to that food. So we know that a high glycemic response isn't good. That means your body has to release a lot of insulin to try to deal with all the sugar that's coming in quickly. You want a low glycemic response. So how do you hack that in a sense? Well, you add fat or protein or fiber to the carbohydrate, mm. and then that makes the body work extra hard to digest that so therefore, it's released slowly throughout the body and gives you more sustained energy. So that would be either A, eating it in that order, or B, if you are having a, you know, a piece of bread, make sure it's got a protein on it with a, a, a complex carbohydrate or a vegetable Some on avocado it. avocado on it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's why, you know, dipping, you know, um, foods that sometimes aren't as healthy with something off pairing, you know, superheroes. You know, every good superhero needs a sidekick. And I often say that when you go to eat carbohydrates, you know, make sure that you have a good sidekick with it. And that is, for me, protein. 
So have you got a hack around what liquids we should be having with those meals? Yeah, look, you know, once again, you, you want to be separating your, your meal time from your liquid time. Um, it, it really interrupts with your digestion and, um, you know, your ability to um, get the most value out of the nutrition from food because you're diluting a lot of the, the gastric juices in, in your stomach um, when you do have liquid. So trying to have food at least 15 minutes um, after your, your last um, bit of fluid or... 15 minutes after. Now, when you then go back and say, well, how does a liquid breakfast go there? It's a different thing because you have the it's, nutritional value inside the, the actual liquid. We're just talking about liquid um, in, in its in its sole source. Um, so for me, you know, um, separating that time, but, you know, drinking plain old water, H2O, if you had to pick, you know, anything as far as um, um, adding to, to your routine is getting up first thing in the morning and making sure that you have 500 mils of water. Um, you know, we know that, you know, it increases our metabolism by up to 30% for 40 minutes afterwards. Mm. I still do this. How many years have we been doing this podcast? Oh. And I, I still, now I think of you every morning I do it and I put apple cider vinegar in. Yeah, and that's brilliant. You know, you're, you're, you're getting so many benefits from doing both of them things. And, you know, these studies have been tested. Like the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, you know, validated this study that, you know, a 30% increase from just drinking some water for 40 minutes is absolutely mind-blowing. And then you look at, you know, people that um, you know, struggle with portion distortion. You know, a lot of people out there now don't have self-control over over their eating and how much they eat. Um, you know, a study done, you know, from Virginia Tech University, for example, found that, you know, people were able to eat much less than they burnt 15 pounds more over 12 weeks by simply downing a glass of water 15 minutes before their meal. That's a huge amount of weight, like 15 pounds over mm. 12 weeks, yeah. Alex. Not through, you know, some fad diet, not through flogging themselves in the gym, by yeah. simply going to the tap and turning on that tap and drinking that water and then waiting 15 minutes, you'll shed the kilos in no time. And then, Adam, on hot drinks, coffee, tea, green tea, what are your thoughts around that? Coffee's great for you. And, and we know, you know, that the sweet spot's about 400 milligrams a day, which, you know, instant coffee-wise, that's probably, you know, four four cups roughly. Um, you go to the coffee shop and, you know, it's, it's probably closer to about two to three cups. Um, but the big killer of coffee is the calories you put in our coffees, unfortunately, and the artificial sweeteners and the sugars and the sidekicks that come with them, you know, whether it's a banana bread, um, which I still love, you know, banana bread, what a smart marketer, you know, calling it's cake, cake. people. It's, it's cake. cake. Unfortunately, muffins, it's cake. Mm. Um, it's a breakfast muffin. No, no. It's, I know. It's, Everyone listening right now goes, it's a cake. God, I want some banana bread. <laughs> so, but if you really want to hack your fat burning specifically, green tea is much better at burning fat than coffee. Um, you know, it increases your metabolism by up to 4% for each cup of green tea. And we know there's a lot of other benefits in the green tea too, from the flavonoids and, and um, you know, the antioxidants. So, you know, um, give a cup up to green tea. Hack number five, back on the wagon. Adam, what's this mean? Yeah, look, um, you know, a lot of people go team extreme as we, we speak about on this podcast all the time. And, and, you know, in short bursts, you know, if that's what works for you, go for it. Um, but the reality is, is that we're going to fail at some stage and most people, get a, a bit of a setback in life and they just throw their hands up and say it's all too hard. My flat tyre analogy is, you know, you get a flat tyre in your car, you don't get out there and slash the other three tyres. Yeah. Um, but that's what we do as human beings. Oh, that's right. I mean, you said this to me once about like, oh, I had a piece of cake. Right, I blowing out the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm having chips, I'm having pizzas, yeah. I'm having beers. You're like, don't do that. Don't you do just that. had one flat tyre. You had one flat tyre. Don't slash the other three. Just fix, fix it. it. Get yeah, back on the great. horse. So getting back on the bandwagon is simply being kind to yourself and, you know, weight loss, health, I believe that the most important muscle is the one between our ears and it all comes back to psychology. And, um, you know, you've got to understand why you do what you do. And physiologically, you know, we think that our bodies are in control, but it's our minds. And the mind is so powerful. When you have a look at the study from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, 
they they found that we'd be more likely to success if we didn't focus so heavily on the negativity, on why we fell off the bandwagon in the first place. But we'd be better off savoring the experience and getting a learning from it and even laughing it off. And you're saying, oh, what about me being a, you know, a bit of a, a pig? You know, I ate, you know, that right. second bit of birthday cake. Well, I look back now, geez, I must have looked like a bit of a, a glutton, you know, uh, and have this. a laugh about it, you know, and have a joke about it and be kinder to yourself. So your hack is get back on the wagon in a positive way. Like you fell off it. All right. Why did I fall off? Oh, probably because of this and I was too busy and I didn't sort out my day properly. Like learn from it and then be enthusiastic about the fact you fell off and jump back on that wagon. The likelihood is you'll be on the wagon for longer before you fall off again. And it's, it's, a, it's a physiological response as well. When we, we, we feel feelings of negativity, um, we release different chemicals in the brain. We'll be slashing the rest of the tyres, won't and we? And then, you know, what happens is that your brain goes, I don't want to feel this way. I need to feel better. I need dopamine. So what does it do? It then craves more sugar. Jibbies. It craves more fat. Mm. So therefore you reach for that donut. Why? Because it gives you that instant feeling of satisfaction and worth. So the last thing you want to do is when you have a failure, is see it as a failure, but see it as a lesson. And being aware of the fact that, you know what, when I get stressed, what do I do? I go and do this behaviour. So don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself and the way you speak to yourself is very important because we know the power of the subconscious mind. So if you're telling yourself you're worthless, you're going to take actions because we want to be congruent. So you're going to move towards that action to be consistent and them actions don't empower you. And remember, if you want to ask Adam questions like what Sebastian did to kick off this episode, you can always go to his social pipes, Instagram, Facebook, or themanshake.com.au. And Adam also rewards you with giveaways of Manshake products. I can't wait to do more of these question and answer episodes. I think they're really good to have our tribe reach out and say, this is what I'm trying to do. So Sebastian, we hope that helped you spring into spring. And Adam, I'll speak to you on the next episode. Looking forward to Alex. Thanks, mate. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.